phone rang at a house. A little voice answered and said, Hello. The caller didn't understand why the little girl was whispering and said, Well, hey, baby, how are you? I'm fine. said, Is your mom there? Yes, sir. Can I talk to her? No, sir. Why not? She's busy. What's she busy doing? She's talking to my daddy. Your daddy's there? Yes, sir. Can I talk to him? No, sir. Why not? He's busy. Well, what's he busy doing? He's talking to the policeman. (laughs) There's a policeman there? Yes, sir. Can I talk to him? No, sir. Why not? He's busy. Well, what's he busy doing? He's talking to the fireman. There's a fireman there? Yes, sir. Can I talk to him? No, sir. Why not? And at the same time, they both said, He's busy. So now the caller's a little frustrated, and so he uh, says, So let me get this right. Your mother's there? Yes, sir. Your daddy's there? Yes, sir. There's a policeman there? Yes, sir. There's a fireman there? Yes, sir. And I can't talk to any of them. That's right. Because they're all busy. He goes, yes, sir. So can I ask you this question? What are they busy doing? They're looking for me. (laughs) Now, I don't know that you've been looking for me, but I've been looking forward to being here. For those who don't know me, I'm Jerry Watts. I'm the new Director of Missions for the George Green Baptist Association. Been here about eight months and uh, uh, met many of you guys from time to time. And some of you would know my face, not call my name, but uh, love your pastor, love Brother Larry. And I was excited when he called me two or three weeks ago. And I just want you all to know, I was glad to suffer for Jesus. I said, Brother Larry, why don't you just preach at Bexley and I'll go to Alaska in your place. And he didn't think much of that, okay? so uh, But uh, I'm honored to be here. I was excited that he... That he uh, came. He works with us on some of our committees at the association. We had a meeting Monday night before he left next day, and uh, he was telling me, telling us a little bit about your journey over the past years, and I just want you to know that you have my prayers, my support. Man, I'm just, he and I have been talking since the middle of July about the work that you're doing on the building next door, and I'm looking forward to coming and helping with that. I was supposed to come over there on a Thursday night uh, in the middle of July, and the uh, for those that don't know, it took us a while to sell our house back in um, Alabama. I got a call on Tuesday after I told him I'd be there on Thursday, and they said, if you can be here Friday, we'll close on the house. Well, I was anybody who's tried to sell a house, I was there. And so uh, we sold our house, getting ready to build down here. And uh, I just want to tell you, a lot of things are going on. I didn't mention this at the announcement time or anything, but... With the disaster going on in South Louisiana, uh, George Green Baptists are highly involved. We have sent uh, probably the ten church, at least ten of our churches have sent goods, uh, non-perishables. We, we're getting ready Saturday to send a one-day call out for men who work and can't get away for a week or something. We're going to go over there and, and try to do some mud out, some cleanup. We're, these folks are, are in a bad way. If you don't know this, is that uh, uh, the water in South Louisiana at this point is worse than it was in the aftermath of Katrina because of the level and the amount. So you pray for those folks. If you think you can help, call us at the office. 
Uh, people have my number around. You can go to, uh, if you're on the internet, go to ggbaptist.com. You can find us. You go, if you're on Facebook, you can go to our Facebook page. We're doing our best to communicate the best we can about all the things we're doing. Because, listen, here's what I want to tell you. I know we're called George Green Baptist Association. But if you've seen anything come from the office in the last eight months, we have this big logo. It'll be displayed October 17th at our annual meeting. It's partnership. And that's what we're in. We're in partnership together. Ephesians 1.5, being in partnership from the very first day. I'm excited about being here, and I'm, I'm excited about being partners in the gospel with you. And so thank you for uh, letting me come and speak today, and I look forward to all we're going to do in the days ahead. I look forward to when you get your buildings finished. I know that's been a long, drawn-out process, and so uh, I'm looking forward to helping with that. In the matter of our message this morning, I'm going to preach one of the most unusual messages that I've preached in 25 years of pastoring. So you, uh, uh, you can tell, if you tell Brother Larry anything, tell him something good, don't tell him something bad. We're going to turn to John chapter 2. We're going to look at a very familiar story, John chapter 2. You know, the, let me just uh, say this, is that I'm not mad or angry at anybody. When I stand in the pulpit, I'm here to, get, to try to do my best to give you God's clear word as he's revealed it to me. When I think of Bible study today, we do a lot of Bible study today, and over these 25 years as a pastor, a lot of times we just study and we gain knowledge. And that's fine. But where the water meets the wheel, where the rubber meets the road, is how we apply it to our lives. We're going to look at this very familiar story with kind of an unusual uh, view of it. And uh, you hang with me. Don't walk out or, or, or throw me out until you hear me out. Because I believe we will find some answers in this text today, in this story today, that if we apply it, it can have personal life-changing uh, ramifications, and it can change a church, and it can change a culture. So let's get our story in front of us. I don't know what your tradition is here, if you will indulge me. And by the way, tonight I'll be preaching a message entitled, A Church for the 21st Century, and I pray that you'll come back at that hour. Let's stand together, if you don't mind indulging me, and let's read. We're going to read 11 verses. If you can stand, if you can't, that's okay too. John writes, beginning in verse 1, chapter 2, he says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, I want to read that again, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, 
The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine or the inferior wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the next few moments. I pray that you will clear our minds and our hearts of those things that will distract us here in you. And I pray that you'll move into this place in such a way that we know that you're here. We sense you're here. We, we can feel you here. We, it's not like we can touch you. I pray that you will move in, that you will empower your message and your words, and that you will move our hearts in such a way that we will never be the same ever again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, I want to run around a question. When I ask you this question, some of you are going to be offended. But again, hear me out. I want to ask this question from the text. What do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do when the wine runs out? Now, if you're an alcoholic, you say, oh, you just go buy another round. If you're a Baptist, you go, I can't believe you asked that question. By the way, as I was studying for this, as I was studying for this uh, message, I found out something. I found out what a Southern Baptist martini is. It's a Diet Coke with a little bit of lemon squeezed in it. I don't want you to get sidetracked today. This is not a message about drinking or alcohol. This is a message about what happens when that which you depend on is gone. What happens when the power of God, the presence of God, and the passion for God escapes and leaves? What happens when the wine runs out? To understand how this story is going to unfold and help us, we need a little background. First of all, Weddings of the East. This was a wedding. Now, weddings in those days are different than weddings of today. When I, as a pastor, sit and talk with a bride and groom and we put together a wedding, the wedding is about the bride in the West. Everything's about the bride. In the East, particularly in these days, it's all about the groom. And it comes about something like this. Is that the father of the bride goes, the father of the groom goes out and he finds a bride for his boy, and he goes to the bride's daddy, and he literally enters into a legal transaction, and they're committed to each other. Now, ladies, men, don't you like that? Somebody else arranging who you're going to spend your life with? I mean, doesn't that just kind of get you excited all over? And so they enter what this thing is called a betrothal. You remember Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other when... um, when uh, Mary was conceived with the Holy Ghost. Well, so that's betrothal last about a year. Sometimes it could last longer, but at least a year. After the year's time was up, and by the way, you can't just break it off like you do an engagement, is that if you were to break it off, it's a legal matter. It's a tough thing. It's like a divorce. But after the end of that year, here's what happens. And, and the weddings, don't you, you'll like this, the weddings don't just last one day. The weddings could last up to a week. And, and what would happen is that on the, on the day, now remember that days in 
in that era started at 6 o'clock at night. We go midnight to midnight. They went from 6 o'clock at night around to 6 o'clock at night, 6 o'clock. And so at 6 o'clock at night, it was the next day. And so sometimes at the break of the new day after 6 o'clock at night, here's what would happen. The groom would get in his chariot and he would go make the journey to the house of the, fa- of the father of the bride. He would literally retrieve his, his bride and head home. Now, if you remember the story of the wise and foolish virgins, how they, how they had their lamps and some of them had, had a, a juice and some of them didn't, what would happen is that their friends would then take their lanterns. You know, we didn't have street lights back then. Y'all do remember that, don't you? Is that they would take their lanterns and light the way so that the groom would find his way back to his father's house with his bride, and the ceremonies began. And those ceremonies including eating, partying, dancing, a week of it, and the wine flowed freely. And I'll just tell you this, if you didn't provide enough wine for the week, it could be a legal issue because you were responsible for the shindig. So that's the wedding. Well, now we see the wedding in John chapter 2. Mary's there, the mother of Jesus. And some people think that Mary might have had some responsibility for this wedding because that's why she was concerned the wine ran out. That would mean maybe the, the groom would have been in Jesus' family. That's not in Scripture. I'm just telling you what, what some people think. But for whatever reason, but for whatever reason, she was concerned when the wine ran out. It could be big trouble. And I want to put a period right there. I told you that Sometimes we study the Bible and we get to understand the things, but we don't make any application. We live in a country that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. In fact, our founding papers read that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That What that means is that the government didn't give us our rights, so the government can't take them away. And yet today in this nation, We find our freedom of religion. Maybe it hadn't made it to George County yet, but you read some reports. We've taken our freedom of religion and we've turned it on its head. We've taken morality and we've turned it on its head. We've taken the belief system of right and wrong and we've turned it on its head, literally where it's upside down. There's an old contemporary song that says we're living life upside down, where wrong is now right and right is now wrong you don't believe it, just look at our presidential race. I don't need to give you my perspective if I'm offending a Democrat or I'm offending a Republican. So be it. Out of almost 250 million people in this country, these are the best two for that. Doesn't make sense. But I want to say this to you. Whoever is elected, her or him, The answer for this country will not be found in the White House. It will be found in the church house. It will not be found in legislations or legislators. It will be found in the Lord. It will not be found in government. It will be found in God. It will not be found in programs. It will be found in priorities. You see, the truth is, folks, our country is sick. 
Our culture's sick. Our community's sick. I just read a report, and you read it too, from our sheriff. Five gangs in our little place. Drugs like crazy. Teenage pregnancy, we're number one. Our communities are sick. And you know why our country and our culture and our community, all these are sick? It is because our churches are sick. And you know why our churches are sick? It's because the wine that has given us life is gone. The Holy Spirit of God is gone. Back in the 70s, the Southern Baptist leader said, Holy Spirit could die, and 80% of the churches would go on just like because they'd never know it. What to do? What do you do when the wine runs out? May I say this about a church being sick? And we'll talk some about this tonight in the message. The only way a church gets sick is when God's people's walk with him get sick. Only when we become empty can the church become empty. So I want to address it now from the story. What do you do when the wine runs out? I'll suggest to you three or four things that I left out of this story. First of all, you have to admit. You have to admit. She came to Jesus. Mary came to Jesus. The wine ran out. She knew the problem like the wine has run out in our culture, and we know the problem. She came and she said, hey, Jesus, no wine. We're out. Bottle's empty. You know, that's tough for us today. We don't want to admit that we're weak in any way. We don't want to admit that we need somebody else. We don't want to admit that we need someone else. Because if we admit that we need something, it means we're weak, and that goes against us today. May I just remind you that when we're weak, he's strong. And when we're strong, we've pushed him to the side and he's weak. We have to admit if we want to be saved. We have to admit that we're sinners. We have to admit that we need a Savior. Brother Jerry, I'm a Christian and I never admitted anything. Well, let me just say this to you. I dare say that you didn't ask for forgiveness. You didn't gain forgiveness if you didn't admit, because you, if you didn't admit, you didn't confess. And if you didn't confess, you didn't admit. And if you didn't admit and confess, you needed Him. He never came into your life. You may be a church member. You may have been baptized 16 times. You may be a worship leader. You may be a preacher. You may be a Sunday school teacher. You may be the most faithful person here. But if you've not had an encounter with God, just like Moses did at the burning bush, chances are, when time is drawn to a close or when you close your eyes in death, you're going to be surprised at what you see on the other side. Because you must admit. The Bible says if, if you confess your sins, He is faithful just to forgive your sin. But He doesn't just stop there. He forgives you, which means He releases His right to get even. And then He takes His blood and He erases it forever. You see, we have to admit what we need. I suggest to you that that admission goes beyond that. You'll hear me say this tonight, is that 
Our country needs the church. Our country needs the church more than we can even say. But the church that this country needs is not the church that this country is getting. Can I just ask you this question? Do you think that the church of today is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he says, the church that I'm going to build, the gates of hell will not stand against it. And see, it wasn't talking about a church just kind of circling the wagons and building a fortress and letting gates of hell attack it. The, the church that Jesus was talking about is a church that was on the move and attacking the gates of hell who were trying to stand their ground. You see, the first step, when you run out of wine, when you run out of power, when you run out of the presence of God, when you run out of, of what God wants us to have, is to admit that we have a need. Just admit it. I would say that every person in this room, by the way, great attendance today, most of the time when your pastor's away, when the cat's away, the mice play, you understand what I'm saying? But whoever you are, how long has it been since you had a real encounter with Christ? That you could sense and feel His presence flowing through you. That it was such, and that it was such an experience that it changed who you were. It is inconceivable to me that a person can encounter the living Christ and remain just like they are. Mary said, we have no wine. She just admitted it. You must admit it. The second thing you must do, now I'm just going to tell you, you don't know me very well, but I have a, a crazy imagination. I have a sanctified imagination. The second thing you do is not only do you admit what you need, the second thing is you ask for help. Now, the reason I say I I got this sanctified imagination is because if you read that Scripture word for word, you'll go, well, she didn't ask for help. She just simply said, we have no wine. And he came back, woman, what does it have to do with me? It's not my time yet. I asked the woman, I want you to come down to earth. I don't want you to work in the stratosphere right now. This was a mother and a son. I don't know how it was in your family. we got a watch over here. He probably knows. But when my mother, who is now in heaven, when she said something to me, she didn't have to say everything that she wanted to say. Y'all got what I'm telling you? Son, do you, have you looked at your room? Can I translate that for you? Boy, get in there and clean that room up. Son, the kitchen looks kind of nasty today. Do I have to go further? When she said, Jesus, we have no wine, I don't know if she just raised her eyebrow. I don't know if she used that tone. I don't know what she did, but he got the message. Now, the more spiritual people in this room would go, well, he was God. He knew what she was talking about. Well, he was God. He probably did know what she was talking about. But it didn't hurt that she was his mother and she had raised him for 30 years. And he knew exactly what she had on her mind. Y'all got what I'm telling you? You see, folks, the truth is, one of the reasons that the church and our country and our culture is where it is is because... 
the church has almost felt, has almost lost the need to ask. But you know, when we get the Holy, we get the Holy Spirit when we get saved, we don't need anything else. That's the Baptist line. May I say this to you? It is true that when you got saved, when, when the Lord changed your life, the Holy Spirit came and took residence in your life. But folks, what we need now is we need the manifest presence of God. Have you ever walked into a building and just knew God was there? Before anybody spoke to you, you could sense it. You could feel it. You knew it. And you knew when the service ended that God was going to do something special there. Man, I remember walking into tents, tent revival. I remember walking into buildings back when I played for a quartet, sang in a quartet. I could just sense what, what God was going to do. How long has it been since you walked into a place and felt the presence of God like that? Well, Brother Jerry, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says for two or three are gathered in His name, there He'll be in the midst. Yes, it does say that now. Let me bust some of your bubbles and make you mad at me. But that scripture is in Matthew 18 and it has nothing to do with corporate worship. It has to do with spiritual discipline. If you want to know what God's will for us is, go to Acts chapter 2 verse 1 and when they were all together in one accord and in one place, the Holy Spirit fell. And that's what God may be waiting on today for us to get together. Ask Him. You know, the New Testament and the Old Testament teaches us about this thing of asking. I was privileged to speak at the National Day of Prayer this year. And I hovered around Second Chronicles 7.14. My people called by my name. That'd be us. They'll humble themselves and pray, ask. Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. And I like that idea of healing our land. Because if he heals our land, he heals our churches. But brothers and sisters, don't miss this. If we're ever going to get our land healed, it is going to be because our sins have been forgiven. And the only way our sins are going to ever be forgiven is to be heard in heaven. And the only way we're ever going to be heard in heaven is if we turn from our sins and seek His face and pray and humble ourselves. That sounds like to me He's telling us to ask. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Ask. It'll be given to you. Seek. You'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. And then, Jesus' half-brother James, in his book, he said, you have not because you ask not. How long has it been since you asked God to come and fill you and change your home and change your personality and change your priorities and change your direction, change your life? What to do when the wine runs out? You admit you have a need and you ask for help. The third concept, and I'll end it right here. The third concept is that is I'm just going to give this word accept. You might use the word act. It's interesting that when you get honest with God and you read His Word and He gives you instructions, that most of the time, it's not what you expect. 
It's just simply not what you expect. Jesus said, if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be exalted, face yourself. If you want to be the greatest of all, be the servant of all. Am I the only one that thinks that in human words, that doesn't add up? But remember, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. To those guys at that wedding, (laughs) don't you just love it? Whatever Mary said to him, it communicated to Jesus. He had his little say, kind of mumbled, what does it have to do with me, like your boys do? And she just turned to, just ignored him. She turned to the service. She said, whatever he says, do, do it. Whatever he tells you, do it. I'll just tell you this principle. The party was saved because the servants obeyed. The church can be saved when God's people obey. The country can be saved when God's people obey. I can run around that forever and ever. We can be here for life or longer. But Christ gives us the words. Admit. How long has it been since you walked with the Lord? There may be somebody who has never accepted Christ. Oh, you walked an aisle. Oh, you got baptized. Oh, you're in Sunday school. Oh, you're in church. But you know, you've really never had an encounter with Christ where your sins were forgiven and washed away and your life was changed. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Transformation. New creation. Confirmation. Old things, I mean, reformation. Old things have passed away. Listen, brothers and sisters, there are some things you have to turn your back on when you turn to face God. All things become new. Confirmation, being conformed into the image of Christ. Some of you may not have ever had that experience. Today's the day. Today's the day. Some of you may have had that experience and you know that you've kind of slipped away. You've let sin kind of creep back into your life. And I'll just tell you, if you're not guarding your heart, sin will creep back into your life and destroy your fellowship with I dare say that when we depart this place a little bit, if Christ has changed our life, it's going to be because we understand this principle, these, these principles that we admit what we need, what we ask for help from Him, and that we accept what He tells us to do. The disciples knew that. You know, you want something good to be said about you here in this church, in this place, you here in this town? You want to know what Jesus wants for you? Acts opens. The Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. Next chapter, Peter and John heal the crippled man, and then, I don't mean any disrespect, and I'm not trying to cuss, but when they healed that man, all hell broke loose. And they wound up in prison and arrested. And when they were called before the, the uh, authorities, this is what was said about them, may it be said about us. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. By the way, there is one little caveat before I end this message. 
when Mary came to her son, when she showed us what to do when the wine runs out, and when the servants did it. If you look in the last sentence of verse 11, it says, watch this, and the disciples believed. Could the very reason that many people don't believe is because we don't know what to do when the wine runs out. Today, today, has God spoken to you? Has He called you for salvation? Has He called you to unite with the church? Has He called you to make a commitment to missions or, or ministry? Has He called you, has He put His finger on something in your life that's standing between you and Him? If He has, don't leave this building until you make it right. Let's bow.